Amen. Y'all give it up for these men who've led worship this morning. Appreciate you guys. Y'all are awesome. You brought a Bible with you. Say amen. I invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. If you're visiting, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. And we find ourselves this morning focusing attention on the ministry of the 12 apostles. Uh, phenomenal what Jesus did in empowering and equipping them to do ministry. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 1. You got it in front of you? Uh, say amen. amen. All right, let's look at it together. The Bible says, And he called the twelve together and gave them authority and power over the demons that uh, heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that particular city. And as far as those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch uh, heard of all that was happening. He was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to sing. Verse 10, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, taking them with him. Uh, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida, but the crowds were aware of this, and they followed him and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Let's bow together. Father, it's a, uh, an honor to open up the word and to preach. So I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you give strength. And Father, you would use every single word uh, to speak to our hearts. God, give us the opportunity to supernaturally be able to lock our attention in on what you desire for us to hear today. And God, I pray it be a life-changing moment for every single individual in the house. God, I also pray for those who have yet to make a decision to follow you. They've not yet trusted you with their life. God, use your word today to call them to salvation, do a great work in their hearts, and we'll give you glory for it. Now, praying for the Holy Spirit to take absolute control of the preached word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, recently at our house, I have passed the torch on to my oldest son, Garrison. Uh, in fact, I passed the torch on to him by showing him exactly what I'd, I wanted him to do, gave him a specific responsibility, taught him exactly how to carry out the responsibility, and even showed him how to do it. And then that time came when I handed the torch off to him so that he could be involved in accomplishing this great task. Now you may wonder, what is the torch? Well, let me just kind of show you what the torch is this morning. The torch was the toilet bowl brush, which is taped down, which means it is very sanitary, amen? And so uh, I handed this off to Garrison. So now Garrison, our eight-year-old, he is in charge of cleaning the toilets in the house. Can I get a witness on that, amen? That's what we do. We don't play. I was going to bring our normal toilet roll brush in, but Krista said that wouldn't be a good idea. So last night at 10 o'clock, she went to Walmart and got that brand new one for me this morning. Well, you and I, uh, like my son Garrison, have been handed a particular torch. Thankfully, it's not a toilet roll brush, amen? But there is this particular uh, torch that has been handed to us, and the torch or the task 
is to make disciples everywhere. Now, a disciple is one who models and encourages what it looks like to worship Jesus, to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to grow in our relationship with Jesus together, as well as to serve within the body of Christ. That is what a disciple looks like, one who worships, reaches, grows, and serves. Now, according to Ephesians and chapter 4, it is the ministry of pastoral leadership to be absolutely certain to equip and prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that is the local church, might be built up. Now, B. Hybel states this, and I quote, he says, The work of the church largely gets done on the shoulders and through the efforts of volunteers. And there's absolutely no doubt we saw that in action this past week, that indeed many people whom God has called into a relationship put them in acts of service, and God uses that to enable the church to make disciples. We saw that vividly at Vacation Bible School. Now, the torch of making disciples has been passed on to Concord Baptist Church. We've been strategically planted by the sovereign Lord. Now, indeed, God is sovereign. Amen. You agree with that? He's in control of all things. So the Lord has sovereignly positioned you and I, all of us as members of this body, He has strategically located you and I in this place so that we could turn Northeast Georgia upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whenever I speak about turning the world upside down, we almost think, man, that is just a radical concept. Well, believe it or not, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, we find that that was actually the testimony of the New Testament church. And the testimony was given to them that they turned the world upside down, not by believers, but actually by unbelievers. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 17 and 6, these men who have turned the world upside down, they have also now come to us. You know, our goal today is to see how Jesus passed the torch of ministry to the first 12 apostles. And in the concept of seeing how he passed that torch on, we are given the opportunity to see how the torch has also been given to you and I in this local fellowship. So if you're a note taker this morning, the major question that I want to ask is what is Jesus up to at Concord Baptist Church? What's Jesus up to? Or we can also ask it in this way, how is Jesus passing the torch of making disciples on to you and I? How is the Lord doing that? Well, there's a few ways that I want to give you this morning, but here's the first way that Jesus is working in the context of our church, empowering us to make disciples everywhere, and that is Jesus is calling, so listen. Jesus is calling, so listen. Look in your Bible again, chapter 9 and verse 1. You've got it there, say yes. And the Bible says, and he called the 12 together. Now, the word called, you might want to circle that in your Bible. It is rather, rather an intensive word, which means to bring someone right in front of your face. So Jesus calls these 12 apostles to himself face to face. Now, you've got to imagine for just a moment, Jesus is on the brink of establishing a team that would eventually turn the world upside down. Now, if you were Jesus, what kind of people would you be looking for? Well, I think you and I would be looking for the sharpest uh, people in the bunch, the cream of the crop, so to speak. We'd be looking for people who are highly educated, highly spiritual, and have phenomenal leadership abilities. That's who we'd be looking for. 
But Jesus did not look for those characteristics at all. In fact, as we study those whom he called face to face to find out who he actually called, we find that they were extremely average and very normal individuals. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10, we get a list of all of the apostles who were called. We have Peter, who was a simple fisherman who always put his foot in his mouth. Does that describe anybody in here? I was just wondering if anybody would say anything. But anyway, so uh, Peter was that individual. James and John, they were in the same boat as Peter, literally. They were fishermen alongside of Peter. And then you have Andrew, who was Peter's brother, a fisherman, as well as a follower of John the Baptist. He left John the Baptist to follow the person of Jesus. And then Philip was a Galilean peasant who heard the preaching of John the Baptist and was also directed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls Bartholomew to himself, a man also known as Nathaniel. He was a man that all we know about him is his birthplace. He most likely was just an average old Joe. And then Matthew, who once uh, was named Levi, he was a Jewish tax collector, hated by the Jews. And also he was known as a friend to sinners. And then we have Thomas. History teaches us that Thomas had a twin sister named Lydia. This morning I said that Thomas was the twin sister of Lydia. That wasn't right. That's why I love two services. I get to fix all of the mistakes. But anyway, uh, Thomas was considered a pretty critical individual, always found uh, the worst things to talk about. And then we have James, the son of Alphaeus, who was Matthew's brother. Thaddeus, we know very little about. Simon the Zealot was an armed resister who fought against foreign rule and taxation. He started his own tea party, so to speak. He was looked upon by many as a rebel. And then you have Judas Iscariot, who we know, according to Scripture, was indeed a betrayer of the Lord. Now, these are the 12 individuals that Jesus called to himself, and he was going to empower them to turn the world upside down. But these people were extremely normal. Now, I take great encouragement in the fact that Jesus didn't look for the super spiritual, the super religious, the super financial individuals, or the uppity up in society, but he just called normal people to follow him. That encourages me because I'm a pretty normal person. Are y'all out there? Now, what's interesting is I also said that in the first service and had about five people tell me I was not normal. <laughs> Abnormal is what they said. But anyway, so uh, that's all good. Now, as we look at the idea of God's call upon our lives, we note a few truths. Now, I want you to listen to this because this is important. God, from eternity, has chosen to work through his people to accomplish his purposes in the world. Therefore, we note from eternity that God has called this local fellowship together to accomplish his divine purposes in our current culture. So ladies and gentlemen, you who are members of Concord, this is not happenstance. God has divinely orchestrated that you would be a part of the Concord team and that we would join hands together and we would reach out to make disciples in our current culture. So you're not here by happenstance or just by fate, as many call it, but you are here because of God's divine providence to accomplish a certain purpose. But then secondly, we note that the call to salvation is also a call to serve the mission of Jesus Christ. 
That is, when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus, there's no doubt that your sins were forgiven, not because you were good, but because God is good. And He graciously forgave you of your sin through Jesus Christ, atoning work on the cross. Jesus died for you. He was buried and resurrected. And when you chose to follow Him in that moment, God granted you the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. You've been totally forgiven of your sin. Now, when Jesus does this, there's no doubt you no longer have the condemnation of spiritual death and hell looming over your life, but you've been set free from that, and you're guaranteed an eternal home in heaven. Amen? God gives us that through grace in His Son, Jesus Christ. But God did not simply save you so that you could miss hell and make heaven. God saved you so that you could be a part of his mission to make disciples throughout the world. So God has actually saved you so you could help move the mission ball downfield, so to speak. In fact, Henry Blackaby writes in his uh, little book called Inaccountable, and I quote, he says, The call to salvation is at the same time a call to be on mission with God in our world. The truth is expressed throughout the entire Bible. And those mightily used of God throughout history all bear witness to the reality of this. Almost from the moment of salvation, there comes over the Christian a deep sense of being on mission with the Lord in our world. Let me restate that last little sentence. And I want you to listen. Are y'all listening? Say yes. If you're listening, raise your right hand. All right, put it down now. Pay attention to this. Almost... From the moment of salvation, there comes over the Christian a deep sense of being on mission with the Lord in our world. Now, some of you are sitting in here and you're like, I've been in church all my life. I've never felt a deep sense to be on mission with the Lord. That's because you've been in church all your life, but you're not in Christ. Because Christ gets in you and pulls you on his agenda, on his game plan with what he is doing throughout the world. It's interesting. Jesus is calling, so listen. Jesus is calling all of you, uh, as well as myself, to be a part of his mission. All we've got to do is listen. I love the story in the Old Testament about God's call of the young boy named Samuel. Samuel was brought to the temple by his mother, and he lived there, and he kind of was raised up in the temple by a man named Eli. He one evening was going to lay down and go to sleep when he heard a word. And the word was uh, directly to him, calling him out. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel jumped to his feet. He ran to where Eli was located and said, did you call me? To which Eli, the priest, said, no, no, that wasn't me calling. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. You must have had a dream. So he goes back. He lays down. And again, the same voice. Samuel, Samuel, he jumps up, runs to Eli. Three times this occurred. And finally it dawned on the spiritual man, Eli, that it was God who was calling Samuel. So Eli told Samuel, Samuel, go back and lay down. And if you hear the voice again, I want you to respond and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so Samuel went back and the Lord spoke and he said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And indeed, God spoke. You know, the Bible says that the word of the Lord was very rare in those days. I believe we're living in a similar day where the word of the Lord is very rare. But here's the deal. The Lord is still speaking. 
He is still calling many of you to salvation. But He's also calling many of you to stand up and serve. Get involved with His mission. All you've got to do is listen. And so the strong encouragement from God's Word and this preacher this morning is that you would simply pray up to the Lord God in heaven, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Jesus is speaking. Listen to Him. And then there's a second reality of how the Lord passes on the torch, and that is Jesus is equipping, so learn. Jesus is equipping, so learn. Look in your Bible again, chapter 9 and verse 1. You've got it there. Say yes. That was the same 12 who had it before. God bless you. The Bible says he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over the demons and the healed diseases. Now, those whom Jesus calls, he always equips. And there's a great statement that I've heard on an occasion where it said, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so God equips you when he calls you, there's no doubt. That was the case with the 12 apostles. Notice the two things that were given to the apostles. The Bible says they were given power. Now, the word power speaks about the supernatural ability to accomplish the impossible. And then the Bible also says that the Lord gave them authority. Now, the word authority speaks of the divine right to carry out a specific mission. So think about a police officer this morning. It was interesting this past week. We had some police officers who were helping with vacation Bible school. They came in their whole getup, and I was holding uh, Marley one evening when she whispered in my ear and said, there's a cop, go away. And so <laughs> she knows what's up. But anyway, so... We look at these police officers and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have power. Why do they have power? Because they're packing the heat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They've got a gun on their hip and a nightstick attached to their belt. So they've got power. But here's the deal. I could have a gun and a nightstick and still have some power. I don't even need one. And y'all look at me saying, I know that dude's got power. <laughs> Priest y'all over here, y'all look better. But anyway, so... uh. Power. That's what the policeman has. But here's the thing about a policeman that is radically different than the average Joe. The policeman has the authority of the city to carry out the power. Now, Jesus, who is the king of the universe, whether you recognize him as that or not, he's still the king. Jesus, the king of the universe, has called these men and said, I am giving you divine power. You'll be able to cast out demons and heal diseases. And I am giving you the authority of all of heaven to carry out the mission. So he gives them authority, gives them power. Now, remember, as I said, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of light. So these apostles have been given this divine power over demonic influences and the divine authority to tell them exactly what to do. So the apostles are serving as the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are y'all listening? Say yes. A little theology here for you, so I want y'all to stick with me. Don't miss this. This is good, systematic uh, process through Scripture. So listen closely. The ultimate strategy of the apostles of Jesus, the 12 apostles, was to lay the foundation of the New Testament church. Now, the foundation was the message of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection as payment for sin. Jesus being the only way to know God and be forgiven of your sin, that was the foundational message. 
Now, when you think about Peter going out and preaching the kingdom of God and exclaiming to everybody that the rule and the reign of the Messiah is right in front of them in the person of Jesus, people look at Peter and say, Who are you? Aren't you some fisherman? Why are you coming out here talking about the Messiah and the king of the kingdom of light? How could you even speak such a thing? By what authority do you do these things? So they're not impressed with Peter. They're not impressed with anybody. Until Peter reaches out and begins to touch those who can't walk and they can walk again. And Andrew reaches out to the blind and the blind can see. And Thaddeus, he, he cast the demons out with just the word of the living Lord, speaking directly. See, they didn't want to pay attention to the message until the divine supernatural works began to literally authenticate the message. Are y'all listening? Say yes. So the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 20 that the church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Now, according to Ephesians 4, we learned that after the foundation has been established, which is the gospel, that now pastors, uh, evangelists, and teachers come in and they build upon the foundation that has already been laid. Thus, the office of apostle and the office of prophet, as it is spoken about here in the New Testament, is off the scene. They have already done their contract work. The foundation has been laid. Now pastor, teachers, and evangelists come in and build upon the foundation. It's pretty interesting as you begin to study the scripture to see how all of this begins to play out. However, we note this morning that indeed the Lord continues to equip his body to accomplish his divine purposes. We see that throughout the Bible. He gives you and I the Holy Spirit to empower and to strengthen us. As well, he gives you and I spiritual gifts that we might put them into practice within the body of Christ. So you as a believer have been equipped by the Holy Spirit to use your spiritual gifts within the body to accomplish the mission of making disciples. Now somebody says, by what authority do we do this? Well, we do it by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So as a member of Jesus' body, as a member of this local body of believers, we know that each of us is spiritually gifted and equipped to serve. Also, by the authority of Christ, we serve in efforts to move the mission of making disciples forward. Therefore, since we know that Jesus equips, we should learn about how God has gifted us in the body. Now, how can we learn those particular things. A few ways that I jotted down here in your notes. First of all, we need to prepare ourselves scripturally. That is, you and I, we need to find out what spiritual gifts are available in this particular age for those who are followers of Jesus. We need to study them. Secondly, we should prepare ourselves spiritually. After you discover the gifts according to the Bible, prayerfully ask the Lord how he has gifted you. And not only should you prayerfully ask the Lord, but also ask the Lord to confirm those gifts in your life by the witness of other believers. Well, they would encourage you to use those gifts. And then thirdly, we should prepare ourselves practically. That is, don't sit around and wait for someone to ask you to do something. Be proactive 
in the body of Christ. Begin to put your gifts into service until you find a fit and sense that the mission is being helped forward because of your contribution. You know, I'm excited about what's happening in our church body behind the scenes. We have a group of individuals who are working on a particular ministry called CSI. It means Concord Service Initiative. And their entire goal is to create a pathway for every single member of Concord to walk down where you can discover your spiritual gift, you can find out areas of service in the body, and then you can get plugged into serving. Our ultimate goal is to see 100% of our membership serving in the body. Now somebody says, that's a ridiculous goal. Is it? If every member who is a follower of Jesus has been equipped, then the Holy Spirit will generate a desire within your heart to be involved in serving. So everybody be serving. That'd be crazy, won't it? And then through our new member class, God willing, in the future, we'll attach that series, that study, that pathway. So as soon as a person joins our church family, they not only figure out what Concord is all about, but they also figure out areas in which they can serve, and then they start the next week. Y'all so crazy. It only makes good sense. Jesus has called you here. Listen. Jesus has equipped you. So learn. Figure out where you are to serve. Thirdly, Jesus is sending. So mobilize. We see that principle in chapter 9, verses 2 through 5. Look at your Bible with me, if you will, for just a moment. The Bible says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. Not even uh, should you have two tunics of peace. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. So Jesus didn't just call and equip them. Jesus actually sent them. They were mobilized to move forward. Notice what Jesus did. He first told them where to go. Now Luke's gospel, we find that Jesus just sent them out. Matthew tells us exactly where out is. It's a fact that Jesus said it like this. He says, not to go of the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter into any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus told the apostles to go to the house of Israel. Now, often we wonder, why in the world would Jesus say, avoid the Gentiles and Samaritans and go to Israel? Why would he do that? Well, it's because Jesus Christ came first, primarily, as the promised king of the Jews. He was the Jewish king. He was the Jewish Messiah. Therefore, his priority, according to both the Old Testament and the New Testament, was to come first to the Jew and then through the Gentile. Jesus Christ came for the whole world, but he came first for the Jew. You know, to put it rather plainly, the Jews actually had an advantage over the Gentiles. If, by the way, if you ain't a Jew, you is a Gentile. Y'all with me? Everybody in the house? So the Jews had the advantage when Jesus came. Why? Because think about the Old Testament. They had the law given to them. They had the prophecies given to them. They had the kings given to them. They had all of these promises that a Messiah would come. All of that was right before them in their reading in Old Testament Scripture. And what is amazing, however, is that they completely missed Jesus when he came. And the Bible tells us that what Jesus Christ has done is he has actually given the kingdom which the Jews rejected when they turned from Christ. He has given it to the New Testament church. So you and I now, 
serve as the representatives of the Lord Jesus to a lost world. So he told him where to go. He's like, go to the Jew first. You know, it's interesting. We read texts of scripture in the Bible where Romans 1 and 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to all those who would believe. But then it says, to the Jew first and then to the barbarian or the Greek. That's why we also hear Jesus saying at the uh, well to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So he speaks of that priority. But you know, the bottom line is Jesus just told him where to go. He's like, go out there and tell all of Israel that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, Jesus as well has given you and I in the New Testament uh, command of where to go. He tells us to go into all the world. So he's commanded us to literally make disciples all over the world. Now, that's why we seek to make disciples not only locally, but we also seek to make them over in Africa, over in Moldova, over in Mississippi, and even the foreign land of Alabama we've gone to. But we do that because, listen, that's what he told us to do. So it's not like we just came up with a cool game plan. We're just executing the game plan he's already given. So we just move forward. Now, here's a sobering thought, and I want y'all to listen closer. Y'all listen and say yes. Y'all need to pay very close attention because this is wild. The Lord has given responsibility to Concord to reach this section of Georgia. It is our responsibility as a local body of believers to make sure everybody, Hall County, White County, surrounding, that they have heard the gospel message and had opportunity to come to Jesus. It's our responsibility. Y'all out there say yes? So that's why we need to be aggressive at making disciples. That's why when you go to work, sir, although you're going to work, listen, you primarily are a missionary. God gave you that job so you can make disciples in that place. Did the same thing with you, ma'am. So some of you who are stay-at-home moms, God has still given you a ministry to make disciples. Start making them. Y'all out there? So all of us are called to do. So, well, preacher, I thought that was your job. Hold on, shawty. That's everybody's job. If you're saved, that's a part of what God's called you to do. You are in the mission. You are on the team, man. So get after it. Move the gospel ball downfield for the glory of the Son of God. So he's told us where to go. Where do we go? Well, we go locally. We need to have passion for those across the street. We need to have passion for those across the world. And that passion, I believe, ought to just flat out be equal. But then secondly, he told us what to say. And this is wild. He did this to the... um, you know, to the apostles. They were to proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew's gospel sheds a little bit more light. He says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they were to go and preach, and that's what they did. And then the rule of Christ would be rejected by the Jews. And, and uh, Paul the apostle says over in the book of Romans, he's almost like, well, glory be to God that they did reject because then it was opened up to you Gentiles. <laughs> that's crazy, huh? I'll preach on that one day. So the kingdom has been handed over to the New Testament church now. So we're his representatives. Peter says of the church in 1 Peter 2 and 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So he says, you, the church, are a chosen people, so that, here's the reason you're chosen, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has already told us what to do. He's told us where to go. He's also told us what to say. 
And that is we share of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the payment for man's sins, without which a person will go to hell unless they come to faith in the Lord Jesus. That is a true message from the Lord. So we get after it. And here, here I'm convinced too, and I'll preach on this as well one day, but I'm convinced that if we really believed people were going to hell, you couldn't hold us back from sharing the gospel. Couldn't hold us back. Y'all out there? Let me give you this right here. He told them what to do. He told them to perform healing. So that's what they did. Their healing uh, ministry confirmed the message of the gospel. Remember, it's like Peter's like, who in the world, why would we listen to Peter? Well, he starts healing people. They started listening. Now, these type gifts, uh, and I'll say it. I didn't say it in the first service, but I'll just kind of throw this out here. I believe in faith healing. I'm not a believer in faith healers currently in our day. But I indeed believe that God has called us to pray for those who need healing. We did that last Sunday. We've seen the Lord work in the lives of many people this week. We pray for them. But I believe those special gifts of healing were given for a specific time frame to the apostles to authenticate their message. Now we have the message in the New Testament. God has breathed it to us through the apostles. We build upon that. What authenticates the message that we now preach? Our lifestyles do. God has granted us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God bears fruit in our life, spiritual fruit, and people see that fruit, and it is so radically different than their life that whenever they see how we live, it authenticates the message that we preach. He told us who to trust. So they were to go trusting entirely in the Lord. They didn't carry anything with them. Those who showed them hospitality and accepted them, a man they were fired up about, but those who rejected them, they brushed the dust off of their feet. They walked on. It was a sign of their own condemnation. They rejected Christ. They missed an opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. He said that wild. But they weren't to allow rejection to discourage them from sharing the message. And listen, look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. We've got to be the exact same way as followers of Jesus. We've got the message of the gospel. We go out, and regardless of how people respond to it, we continue to faithfully share it. Had many opportunities to share this week. Uh, shared at an individual's house. Uh, several minutes went by. Shared the whole gospel. It was rejected. I left the house. I wasn't hanging my head low because I'm just called to share. God's the one who redeems people. Y'all all right? So the victory's just in the sharing. So I'm just sharing. I can't help that he rejected it. So I'm just leaving his house, and then I come and I can share the gospel with somebody else. And we saw Joseph get uh, baptized this morning, JoJo. All we did was share the good news of the gospel with him. And in a matter of about five minutes, he realized he was a sinner, realized he could not save himself, and he turned from his sin and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. He was redeemed. Now that encourages me, there's no doubt. I'm much more encouraged by those who receive than reject. But I will tell you this, I've been rejected more than I've been received. Y'all out there? But I keep on going. Why? Because some of them receive it. <laughs> and that fires me up, man. To think last week, 11 children came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 11 kids who no longer will spend eternity in hell because they received Jesus Christ. That ought to fire somebody up. Now, whenever they reject the Lord, uh, we continue to move on, and uh, we just kind of brush our shoes off and move on to the next house. Y'all with me? So we brush it on, and then we throw it at them real hard. <laughs> that was a joke. You know that was a joke. 
I didn't want the postman to get angry at me. But anyway, that's what we do, man. That's how we roll. We, so we just continue to go on. We pray for God to move and bring people to salvation. I've shared the gospel with the guy who works right down here at the lawnmower factory. Shared it with the guy who, who runs the place. Shared it with another one of his friends. Uh, he still ain't come to Jesus. But man, I ride by every day and continue to wave at him. Just shared with him about three or four weeks ago. Why in the world would you do such Because I really think people are going to hell without Jesus. And that bothers me. And I really do believe I'm responsible, along with everybody else in this body, we're responsible for this section of Georgia. So we can sit back and just say, whatever, or we can be like, no, no, you know what? That's exactly right. That's what the Bible teaches. We need to roll on, bro. <laughs> y'all out there, I didn't do this or the first service, but y'all seem to be with me. I appreciate it. And I'm only five minutes over. One last point, and I want you to check this. Jesus watches, so give your best. Verse 10 says, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. That is, they were actually sharing with Jesus everything that they had been doing. They were giving a record to the service of their king. And the Bible teaches, we'll give an account one day as well. Jesus is watching. Look at the preacher just a moment. Look at me, eyeball to eyeball. Don't put your stuff up. Look at me. I might preach another 20 minutes. God bless you. Only needed one vote. Look at me. This is your life, right? You've got a short amount of time. Uh, Jesus is calling, so listen. My question to you is, what is he calling you to do? For some of you, he's just calling you to be saved. You still hadn't come to faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. Some of you are saved, and you just don't know what you're doing. Listen. The Lord's calling, man. And then Jesus equips, so learn. My question to you, ma'am, sir, student, how has God gifted you, and what are you doing with it? Get involved. And then he sends, so mobilize. Where has God strategically located you to be on mission for him? And then he's watching, so give your very best. Now, think about it like this. Let's say this day was your last day on earth. Y'all still with me? Say, yeah. Last day on earth, you stand before the Lord at the reward seat. Would he look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I gifted you for my body. And you are faithful to do exactly what I called you to do. Here's your reward. Or would he look at you and say, I gifted you. I put you in a body at Concord. I gave you a territory to be responsible for. And you didn't do anything. And Paul the Apostle says, there'll be some who are saved, yet so as through the fire. That ain't the fires of hell. That's the fire of God's judgment at the reward seat. So you'll make it in. But as through fire, when your whole life was a waste. Y'all out there? Why in the world would you live like that? You've been saved? Do something. Let's pray. Father, uh, in Jesus' name.